This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revolution. Uh, glad you're here. Hello, everyone on Instagram. Um, today, uh, we are here at Revolution, and today we have Caleb is going to be speaking to us. Um, some of you know Caleb from this in post-Christian podcasting. Um, Caleb is, uh, has really helped Revolution a lot, helped us get our online presence back in check, and um, has, runs about 80,000 podcasts and works full-time and is a very hard worker and needs rest and needs money. So, you know what? Support Revolution so we can pay pay Caleb and become a worldwide dominant force in this world. But um, Caleb has family in town today, and he's going to speak, and I'm really excited about it. He's been working on this one for a while, so no pressure, Caleb. And uh, anyway, so please welcome Caleb to the stage. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you got to hit the little flip button. Hey, y'all. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, brother. See, I got family in town. My father and my brother, Sam. Sam and I went to see Dead Mouse last night. There were a lot of, like, 50-year-olds there. It was kind of cool. You would have fit in real well, Dad. You should have tagged along. But uh, before that, we had uh, Maria French's event, God and Other Outsourced Things, in the city. And Kurt and I had our debut, our musical debut, played... uh, some originals I had from a while ago from a project I used to have called Dirt Doctrine, so we played under that, mon- is it moniker? Is that the right word? Under that name? Under that monarchy. <laughs> under that matriarchy. And uh, that was really cool. It was, it was really good, and hopefully Maria will be doing more events like that in the future, so if you can make it. And she also does like a live stream of it, and I think that there might be the footage from the event available online at some point. So uh, I want to talk today about, we're going to talk a lot from the Bible, so sometimes I do that and sometimes I don't, but we're going to try that today. Hold on. Ah! <laughs> I just beheaded it. I beheaded the music stand. Hey, Vicky. I, first thing I want to say is that I think, I think that it's unhealthy to approach Christianity uh, operating under the assumption, I'm not, I'm not saying whether this is true or not, but I think it's unhealthy to approach it under the assumption that everything is predetermined and that there's going to be this, that there's this big story unfolding and that the climax is coming and, and everything's written in stone and, you know, Jesus is going to descend from the clouds. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not here today to talk about whether or not that is true, but I think that that's unhealthy. And I think assuming that it's, you know, like I said, it's all written in stone and the new Jerusalem's coming and everything will be renewed. I think that's a nice thought, but I think that Assuming that can promote an attitude with, with a lack of accountability and a lack of responsibility, and it can even promote laziness, I think. And I only say that from personal experience. I know for myself, growing up assuming that kind of took away some onus from me. Just like, I'm not, I think we can reclaim the phrase God is in control, but assuming God is in control, and that means, you know, I. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you, and I don't have to get involved. Or like I, I see, 
uh, you know, a homeless person on the side of the street. Oh, we'll pray for them. You know, God's, God's got a plan. Instead of using that observation to fuel compassion and, and actual interaction with people, I think it, it, can, it can, like I said, I think it can promote uh, a sense of laziness and a lack of accountability. And I think that that's, that's dangerous. I think assuming that the earth is disposable is dangerous for obvious reasons. Um, it, you know, fracking and, and drilling for oil and things like that with the cadence in the back of your head, oh, like, it's all going to be renewed. I, whether or not it will, I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to talk about that right now. Whether or not it will, I think that's very dangerous. Sucking the lifeblood out of something that you're reliant on, I think is dangerous. And I think it also kind of promotes this idea that we don't have to tend to ourselves or tend to others. This is just a, a shell that'll be thrown away. I think that, that that is a dangerous thing. And I mean that to be encouraging. I don't mean that to be a big downer, like, oh, we're all screwed and there's no one's coming to save us or whatever. That's not, I, I mean this observation to be encouraging and, and to motivate us to work at progressing humanity and work at loving each other and engaging with each other and examining ourselves and improving ourselves and improving the things that we can affect around us instead of just throwing our hands up and saying, oh, it's out of our hands. It's all predetermined. I think, like I said, last time I'll say this, well, maybe I'll say it one more time at the end, but I'm not here to ask if that's true or not. I'm just here to say that operating with that as your primary filter, I think, can be very dangerous. I've experienced it being dangerous in in my own understanding of it anyways. Um, But I think in the Bible, we're given a mantra or a coda uh, thesis that repeats over and over of of self-emptying, of selfless love. And I think that we can embrace that and we can use that as a way to, to stay motivated and as an example, as, as an archetype of, of a way, a productive and healthy way to move through life and through interacting with others. Oh, my bookmark fell out. But I'm going to start with some scripture here. We got, and this is one of Kurt's favorites, Philippians 2, talking about self-emptying. I think that in a way, this is kind of almost a Christmas story. It's a telling of God as an external observer, maybe an intercessory God, you know, maybe interceding and things like that, but as, as an all-powerful creator, um, deciding to empty self into a human form, in, into Christ, and, and then the self-emptying just kind of continues and snowballs from there. And like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a cadence that, that repeats itself over and over. And so, yeah, in Philippians, like I said, this is, I think, kind of, maybe I'm just thinking it because of the time of year it is, but I think this is almost kind of a Christmas story. So Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, this is the 
pivotal verse here. Who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So this is that self-emptying. Though being way up here and had, I guess this verse is kind of, the way this is expressing this kind of poetically is, is, is had claimed to be up here, didn't even see that as a thing to be sought after, didn't see that as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humans. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there's that self-emptying in becoming human, in becoming flesh, in being incarnated. And then there's further self-emptying in death, in servitude throughout life, leading to the ultimate sacrifice, death. And death at the hands of the people he was trying to help. Death, death because um, he went against at least religious law, if not Roman law, by enacting this love and stuck to his guns and got tortured and killed very brutally. Um, and so I, I think we see this emptying in the incarnation, in the incarnation of Christ, this emptying in the act of loving and, and, and living as a servant and emptying in the act of death. And then, I think again we even see this emptying in the idea of, and I'm saying this almost as a poetic idea, as, the, as the, in the idea of the resurrection. That Christ or love or God is resurrected in the body, in the church, is incarnated again in us. So by engaging in love, I think that we are in a sense incarnating Christ here on, on, on earth again. By engaging with Christ, by loving, even if it's just for an instant, I think we have reincarnated, reincar we have incarnated Christ. It's funny I said reincarnated because I am about to tell a story from the tradition of Buddhism. Maybe that was a little slip. Uh, I was trying actually not to say reincarnated because... But uh, yeah, so there's, uh, in this idea of emptying, I think it's a universal idea that we can see in a lot of different traditions. The main story of the Buddha, of Siddhartha Gautama, there have been like multiple Buddhas and there will be multiple Buddhas. Anyway, that's not really the point. Um, but it's a really beautiful story of self-emptying that really parallels, I think in a very obvious way, uh, the story of Christ and the incarnation. So there was... A rich, a rich prince named Siddhartha Gautama, and he was super sheltered, uber sheltered. Uh, like growing up, the servants in his palace would like change out the plants in the palace so he would never see them wilt. And he had never left the ca the castle, the castle, that's a palace castle. He had never left the palace walls. He'd never seen a poor person, even never seen a poor person, never seen death. Was fully isolated, fully cut off from any form of suffering. And then one day, I guess he gets old enough and, and he's allowed to venture out near the walls of the palace and uh, sees his first beggar, sees his first poor person. And his mind is blown. He's never, ever seen a person who wasn't living in opulence, who wasn't fully had every need met, probably almost to an exhausting extent. 
uh, never experienced any any suffering. And his mind was blown. It wasn't that he was not a compassionate person. He had just never been exposed to this. And so he was filled with empathy. And it was really, really sad because he wanted to help this person. And, and this was only one poor person. And, and I think the story goes that his servants told him, he said, well, what is this? What's happening? What's wrong with this, uh, this person? Or, or, or why is this happening to this person? And they told him, well, this is actually a sample of the majority of people. Obviously, the, the prince Siddharth Gatma was an outlier in his opulence, in his privilege. And so he was just filled with sorrow, and his reaction was kind of a self-emptying. He chose to leave behind all his wealth and his riches and uh, just gave everything up, left it all, and went and decided to live an ascetic life as a monk, renouncing all material possessions, everything. So he was, you know, one extreme, way up here, as it were, um, being fully privileged, fully cared for, being a ruler, being a prince, and then decided to empty himself all the way down to take on, in a sense, the form of this beggar that he had seen, to empty himself into becoming like this thing that he had pity for, that he felt empathy and love for, And he became a monk, an ascetic monk, so no possessions, no contact even with people. So he swung to another full extreme and went and he he decided he wanted to seek enlightenment. And so he went and meditated under a Bodhi tree for 49 days, fasting, just sitting there meditating. And there was no 40 days in the desert, but he didn't. Maybe having the devil there help Jesus shed that extra nine days that... Siddharth Gottman needed to reach enlightenment. But a uh, little religious humor for him, cross-religious humor. But he, um, so he, he reaches enlightenment after being under the Bodhi tree for 49 days, seven weeks, and um, he realizes that obviously the opulence was too much of an extreme, the poverty was too much of an extreme, so he developed, or he received, I guess, uh, what he called the middle way. So the, the balanced middle path. And he started his teaching. So right after this extended period of fasting and meditation, he started his teaching, started teaching the middle way, interacting with people, showing compassion to people, promoting compassion and love. And yeah, that's, that's the story of the Buddha. And I think, like I said, there's some very, very obvious parallels with God emptying self into Christ, Christ emptying self into us, and then us turning around and incarnating Christ on earth by emptying ourselves into others. I'm going to go to, oh, I want to read one more verse from Philippians. Actually, no, I'm just going to go ahead and move ahead. We're going to look at Matthew 25, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Um, Selected parts. And a abridged version of it is one of my favorite passages of scripture. So there's some, it deals with judgment day is the thing. So there's some, some stuff that's less than compassion in there. But there's a lot of compassion. So um, in the epic story of Christianity, in the, in the uh, myth, and myth doesn't necessarily mandate that something be false. I think that deep truths can often be better communicated through what we might call parables or myths or less than uh, less than historical 
tellings of things. Anyhow, in the epic of Christianity, things culminate at Judgment Day. And like I said earlier, I think that operating under the presumption that Judgment Day is this thing coming, this sweeping thing in the story, the climax of the story of humanity, I think that that is unhealthy. Seeing it on a macro, a macro level of Judgment Day. But on a micro level, we're all going to die. And we all do have our climax and we all do have our end of our personal stories. And so I think seeing Judgment Day on a micro level, on a personal level, on when you die and you look back or when you're going to die and take account of things, some things have more weight than others and some things weigh in positively and some things weigh in negatively. And so that's how I'm going to approach reading this passage. And within the structure, within the structure of the story of Christianity, what's going on here is, like I said, Judgment Day. So it's Christ judging everyone after their lives are over. So when the Son of Man, sorry, Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the names, oh sorry, all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right with the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, to the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Why are they being separated like this? Is it because they said the sinner's prayer? Is it because they went to church and they're supposed to? Let's find out. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, they're confused. They're confused by this. They're confused to even be separated into the side that is receiving a benevolent judgment. They're befuddled. Say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And then he turns to the goats, to the, well, the, the people who are separated like goats, to the people on his left. And he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And guess what? They're confused too, because they were anticipating being put on the side of the sheep. They were anticipating inheriting everything. They had... Maybe this is a little bit of a silly stretch. Maybe it's a little bit of post-evangelical trauma. Post-evangelical. Little buzzword. Um, but maybe they said the sinner's prayer. Maybe they did all the, the sacraments. They're confused. They said, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and didn't minister to you? And he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. So, I forgot to not read that part. But, um, 
so yeah they're confused you know they're it's not based on their beliefs i guess uh, it's based on their beliefs in as much as their beliefs bleed over into the way that they treat humans not the church face that they put on when they walk through the doors not the beliefs that they profess or don't I suspect that in this story, in that group of the sheep, there are a lot of people that might self-identify as atheists. There's probably a lot of people who work in soup kitchens and who work with humanitarian efforts. There's probably a lot of people who don't recognize the face of this Jesus sitting in front of them. And the people who are expecting their reward, they probably saw the sheep getting their reward and were like, oh man, if this is what these losers are getting, we're getting heaven 2.0. You know, we're getting the primo treatment probably. No. They didn't care for the people around them. They didn't love people around them. They didn't take an extra second to maybe make eye contact with the person behind the cash register checking them out at the grocery store who was having a crappy day. You know, maybe they, they, they didn't show love to each other, which is very plainly stated to be showing love to Christ. I don't think, when I was a little kid, I used to think this, that maybe it was like Jesus would like go incognito and be like, I was hungry and they fed me because I was... Remember that homeless guy you gave two bucks to? It was me. <laughs> it was a trick. I, you know, you passed the test. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, as we treat others, so we treat Christ. And as when we do that, we incarnate Christ. We resurrect Christ. I almost went a whole sermon, Jay, without mentioning the name of Pete Rollins. But, but Pete has a, a cool thing where he turns the question of, do you believe in a little resurrection? He turns that around and says, every time I help other people, I, I show that I believe in the resurrection. I'm kind of almost saying maybe every time we help other people, we are participating in a resurrection of Christ. We are bringing maybe a second or another coming of Christ. We are building a kingdom. We are working towards something, a kingdom that maybe is not already built and going to fall out of the sky onto our heads, but a kingdom that we have to work for and we have to build and we have to interact with and we have to work in love, work through love, and compassion and empathy to build. And it is freaking hard. And we got to start, obviously, by showing it to ourselves. And that is a massive task in itself. But any tiny little blip, any little moment when we happen to... Like, uh, there's this multiverse <laughs> going all over the place. There's a multiverse theory that whenever two universes bump into each other, sometimes matter is actually created. You know, matter can't be created or destroyed in our current understanding of things. But they say sometimes like an, an atom will pop into existence and then and then get sucked out again real quick because there's not a balance of, of energy to sustain it because it's not supposed to be there. But maybe whenever we bump into the universe of Christ, maybe for a second Christ is created, is resurrected, is incarnated. And that's probably going to disappear awful quick and we're going to be back to being stuck in our heads and, and treating people poorly. But by participating in these things and just slowly inching forward, I think it's a cycle. You know, you're low, and then you maybe you get, you get positive, and then you get down again. But if it, maybe it's a cycle, but hopefully it's a cycle that's slowly moving upward. Maybe it's a spiral and not just a two-dimensional circle. Maybe we can inch towards a kingdom of heaven in Christian terms. Maybe we can work towards, in a sense, work out our salvation in that we are working for bettering humanity. And it's a tall task, but it's it's something that I ask you guys to help me with, like if I'm an ass to you, be like, hey, dude, you're not building the kingdom, not resurrecting Christ. And maybe we can help encourage each other and, and, and we see it in, in our own lives and in others' lives and just be decent people. Like, 
like whenever Vicky gives me a ride, she always, every time we see someone on the side of the street asking for money, she not only will every single time see if she has anything or gloves, give gloves to people, but she, she, she will go out of her way to pull over and make sure that we make that happen. That gentleman, Michael, who we've brought a couple of times, who Vicky's brought and I've happened to be there, um, he's obviously, he's having a hard time in life and he's, um, I know he, he had been homeless for a while and then I think he had a place and he's homeless again. But he's having a hard time with a lot of things, but Vicky shows him love and compassion. And sh- I think that in a way, no, literal, I mean, not in a way, in Matthew 25, Vicky is ministering to Christ. Christ is hungry, homeless, stomach growling, needs a warm place to hang out. And Vicky is Christ to him, comes to him, shows him love, honestly, maybe could even potentially be putting herself in, in, in some sort of danger, but is being Christ to that person, is, is resurrecting Christ for that person. And yeah, I guess my kind of wrapping up final idea is we can maybe just try to try to do that and, and just be aware of that. And that is a much more healthy and productive motivator than racking up souls or leading people through sinners' prayers or baptizing people or, or laying hands or, you know, fill in the blank. So do some afterglow, shall we? Kurt, can you... Hit the record button. So this is the part of the show. This is the part of service where we discuss, where we give some pushback if you want. And we got our Instagram stream going. Hi, guys. And Kurt's getting the recording going for podcast. Cool. Are they both showing volume? Both the tracks. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, so any thoughts? Live or online? Someone said we resurrect Christ. I love that. Amen. 100%. Um, Jokes on you. Heaven 2.0 is all corporate, organized (laughs) algorithms and filled with targeted ads. (laughs) Who said that? Sean, of course. I thought that was Sean. Sean also said Vicky is literally one of my favorite human beings. Oh, Sean, thank you. So. Hi, Sean. (laughs) <laughs> I knew that was him immediately. <laughs> yeah. Jokes on you. You know, I think yeah. that it's hard to be an American because we have this history that's based, we have this this American myth. It's based on a lie that we have this righteous foundation and, you know, that we weren't imperialists, just like other European countries, but I, what I hate is with this whole idea of um, Jonathan Edwards and somehow seeing if you're wealthy and if you're blessed and if you're healthy, that that's a sign of God's favor rather than probably just a situation you were born into. And so if you're not those things, if you're not successful, if you're hungry, if you can't find a job, if you're an addict, that somehow that's fully your fault. Yeah, because point. you didn't make the right choices when these other people did make the right choices. Yeah. And many times you didn't have those same choices. And I think because of that, people are so alienated from the church because they feel like there's that same standard you know if I will go to church and I will 
follow what I hear, that I will be, my life will change, and I will change, and God will love me. And it's like, a lot of times, you know, you go to church, and if you're mentally ill, you hear all of the information, but you're so at war with yourself that you, you can't apply it in your life in a functional way. You need help to do that. And I just feel like, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all vulnerable. All of us, our lives could change in a minute because of something we do, because of a thunderstorm, because of something that someone else does to us, maybe not intentionally. And we're all at the same point where we desperately need Christ, a Christ figure in our lives. And I just, I just think that it's a, it's a privilege mm. that God gives us to be able to, in some little way, treat another divine creature, whether mm. it's an animal or a person, with respect and love and, you know, give them an opportunity to eat. I mean, to me, that's, that's the greatest privilege I have. And to treat people as if they matter. Yeah. Because we all so desperately need that. And I know that was kind of garbled, but my point is just, it's not a level playing field. Yeah. And... I think it's it takes Christ to open our eyes to see. You did work as a cameraman for a while, didn't you? I, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. This is very high quality stuff. Oh, hey, it just drains the battery, huh? I know. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of it. When you stop the feed, save it to your phone so that we can have it. Okay. It'll save the video. Okay. Well, ask me to do that. Yeah. Okay. And it'll just put it up on the stories then? You can do that, and then you can also save it to your gallery so that we have the footage. Okay, the yeah, I'll send it to you. I have to Sorry. add one sentence yeah. to what I just said. Um, and there's a big billboard off of 94 that has this kind of homely, older-looking dog with just these very sad eyes, and it says, it's, of course, the Humane Society, it's not a donation, it's a second chance. Yeah. And, you know, every time we acknowledge another person maybe that's one step toward them acknowledging a second chance and maybe changing yeah. the whole thing Love. Gary, you uh, well I wasn't here for the whole thing so oh, I'm yeah. sorry but uh, I just think it's really important that people that are successful realize that it's not their money so they should be sharing it Mm. because it's a blessing that they get so they can pass it on so it's not meant to be hoarded and stored up you're not supposed to build bigger barns right Mm -hmm. to put it all in look at how great you are you're supposed to give it away Mm. to people that need it and so I think that having the right heart and intention when you're trying to build that and be successful I think it's really important. I think it's also important that you're not responsible for the life that you grew up in Mm. or for the life that you were born into. 
but I do think it is important that people do try to take some responsibility for the life that they lead. Oh, nice. Anybody online say anything, Jack? Uh, no, they like what Vicky said, said it was perfect. Um, nope, Maria joined us and waved. Oh, hello, Maria. Yeah. Yes. Any burning desires? Are those Mondrian socks? <laughs> yes, they are. Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> I've been holding on them forever, and they're like kind of ripping, and I hate it. Cause my... If you ever don't want them, which I can't imagine happening, but yeah. those are fabulous. Yeah, they're my favorite socks. I'm yeah. sure. I guess everybody wants to see those socks. <laughs> Vicky loves my socks. If anybody ever sees another pair of these, please send me a few and I'll make sure. Oh, yeah. Why do so I love them? This is my bag. purse, yeah. It this matches your purse. bag. Me and Vicky are twinsies. <laughs> In many ways. Fashion at Revolution. <laughs> well, um, I guess I have some to say. Oh, no. Oh, no. We don't want this guy to talk. Long hair. <laughs> well, um, obviously the suggestion here is that we have things to give to the people that are hungry or that are thirsty, but yeah. I always thought it was interesting that there, there are two different versions of the Beatitudes, and the one version is more of a, about physical things, and the other one's more like spiritualized, mm-hmm. but the, the physical one is like, blessed are those who are hungry, blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who are thirsty, Blessed are those that are in prison, and um, it, it, I find it interesting that in Matthew twenty-five here, Jesus isn't saying like on the side, on the good side, we're just the poor people themselves or the hungry mm. people themselves. Yeah. It was the people that helped them out. But um, yeah, if the poor are blessed, like maybe it's maybe we should all be seeking to be more poor. Uh, instead of seeking out riches and like lavish lifestyles and things of that sort. But that kind of gets to the concept of the, the self-emptying. It's that uh, maybe you're able to be filled up and blessed when you have nothing, when you are hungry, when you are thirsty, mm, yeah. uh, when you ran afoul of the law and are in prison. Maybe you're the most blessed and you have something to give to your fellow uh, or uh, comrades or mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's not a message that's heard very often in at least the American church is uh, seek less, seek to have less and, and maybe through that you'll be you'll have an increase. Um, I think that's kind of my long and short of what I was trying to get at there. Cool, yeah. yeah. I like that point that it's not just the poor people and the rich people. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was listening to Pico Iyer coming in, and he's a, he really doesn't choose one particular faith. I mean, he, he's hmm. very knowledgeable about all faiths. His parents were Oxford professors. But um, at one point, his, his house burned down, and he had nothing except 
he went out and he bought a toothbrush, and that was his only possession in the world. Yeah. And he said just this, this great clarity came to him. Wow. Um, even though physically the way he saw the world was different. And, you know, that's not to say that it's a blessing to be in that state and we should leave people there if they need help, but just that there is something to... Hmm. to just having the earth and, and you. Yeah, I guess one other thing. Um, you started by saying that maybe the concepts of things being predestined is a negative. I, and I can empathize with that mentality because in a lot of ways it's like, well, everything's already... Uh, figured out like I yeah. don't have to work to get any sort of reward like it's all uh, it's all gonna just work itself out and I'm kind of my agency and my actions are less important at that point in time yeah, totally. and I think uh, it is good to have doubt and confusion because it requires one to be vigilant yeah. in the way that you conduct yourself and the way that you think because there's um, ambiguities that mm. are needed to be worked out. Totally, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I feel a bit convicted from hearing what you're saying today because, like, I actually have not visited anyone in prison before and... Apparently that's one of the criteria here, so I feel like I'm messing up. Yeah, we'll turn this into we'll turn it into a new doctrine where it's like now we have to work our way into heaven by it's like oh crap I only fed two homeless people this week. Right, right. We have our our monthly prison visit and we turn it into a new doctrine. It's like dang it. Yeah. And then like in a year someone else is up here preaching and gets like I was raised in a culture where you had to work your way to heaven by feeding the homeless. <laughs> Visiting people in prison. Yeah, and obviously it could turn into a legalist. Exactly. Thing, yeah, yeah. But um, it's maybe if you ju- only think of it as like here's some really good guidelines to yeah. see if you're on the right path. Right. Well, I'm missing one of those. Yeah. I, I think it's, it speaks. I think it's important too that um, that the groups are both so surprised by uh, by the judgment because it shows that they weren't intentionally. Or if they were intentionally working towards a positive judgment, you know, towards a reward, then they're like they feel like the floor's been pulled out from under them because, uh, you know, they're like, well, but, but why are we getting into heaven? You know, like, or, you know, what's going on here? Like I said, I'm not, I'm not talking about heaven literally. I, that would be a whole other discussion. But um, but in this in the framework of this narrative, the people who get in are like, uh, like what? What's going on here? You know, like I bet a lot of them are like, I didn't even think there was an afterlife. <laughs> And then this king character is like, well, ta-da. ta-da. It's about the heart, I think, is what I'm saying. Out of the overflow of the heart, yeah. the mouth speaks. And the body acts. I've got an Instagram comment. Accountability for one another, question mark. Mm-hmm. That's what I am getting, to be more aware of others and how we are accountable for each other. Mm. I wonder if they mean like... Uh, Accountable for just like humanity kind of she, thing. She goes on to say, Jesus wants us to be considerate of each other, period. Mm-hmm. 
No hidden agendas or anything, just common courtesy. Mm-hmm. Yes, no hidden agendas. That's, that's a good way to kind of sum that up. No trying to tick off all the boxes. <laughs> I know I'm talking a lot today, but oh, also, what about Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, where oh. it talks about, I did this, and I mm. I raised the dead or whatever, and I healed the sick, and I spoke in tongues, and it's like, if it wasn't motivated by love, it's nothing. Yes. Very good. Yeah, totally. Totally. We're getting some real... Gems out of this one. We move them out. y'all. We should huh? have. We should start a moving company, moving with love. Because <laughs> you haven't moved if you haven't loved. <laughs> anyway, just a business it's good, idea. It's a good. Uh, just a side project. Sad side project for us okay. to make money. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. You've never moved if you never move with love. <laughs> <laughs> if your children's pastor job doesn't work out. Oh yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's on the back burner right now. <laughs> oh okay. okay. Anyone else? Any of the new kids? No. Yeah, we want to go up there and sit and preach now. If that's okay. Yeah, right. That's how it works right here. <laughs> he's been here before, right? My dad? Yep. Yeah. And so he's an elder, isn't he? Oh, yeah, you're an elder now. Oh, then I should be. <laughs> Sam, you can be a deacon or something. How's that sound? So funny. Right. I, I do have to say, I talk about prison and jail. When I would do that, mm-hmm. you're with someone else dragged me there yeah they said okay my friend Jeff uh, we're going to prison this weekend and you're going to preach and so you know so and I was taking seminary courses but you know I was busy and you remember I tried to make you into an engineer I just want to say you were on there very proud oh, right. that you didn't follow my well, I'm a sound engineer <laughs> <laughs> my disciple so anyway um, engineers sound waves <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great it's, it's just so neat um, but uh, I prepared this like theological dissertation mm. for all these inmates, and then when I was in church, someone asked me to go help with the offering. So I passed the train to go back, and someone had taken all my notes and thrown them away. That was just trash. Oh no! And so later, I discovered this was this was God doing this because I showed up. They didn't want dissertation. They they wanted me to say something, then pause. So they go, "Hey man, brother, preach it." And then I go, but and it really taught me, you know, yeah, the Holy Spirit leads. Don't worry about what you're going to say uh-huh. because it's going to be just no. Nothing compared to what <laughs> yeah, God right. Did, right? So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So now you always prepare it all and throw it in. Exactly. Look at people walk up to get speeches. What am I? I don't need these. Sean says, "Caleb, my dad's so cool." <laughs> my dad's so cool. That's what Ke- that's what Sean Sean approves that. I know Captain. Oh. My captain said, "You can't reverse engineer love or grace. It has to be heartfelt and mm. authentic." And he said that before the engineering comment. Oh. So he might be psyched. Maybe there is predestination. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. You can't reverse it. So that's the wealth. It's got to come from the heart. And if you try to make it come from the heart, it's not coming from the heart. Now is it? Feel it. Feel yeah. Feel it. Yeah. It's all like relative, man. Anyway. Well, guess it's about it. Thank you all. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're not for profit. And we pass the hat here physically. And then, y'all online, you can go to revolutionchurch.com. I think it's still slash donate, but if not, you can find the donate link. We don't want your money, but we need it. And we would rather have you than your money. <laughs> we don't want your money, but we need it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the new tagline. I'll take your money, and we want to hire Caleb. So. Yeah, please hire me. It's up to, it's up to you listeners. 
I was like, you know what? I kind of got the bad end of the deal there because I'm going to still keep doing what I'm doing, whether or not I get paid. Well, until I can't afford to do it, I guess. Oh, don't say that. I'm, I'm, I'm staying afloat. I'm paying bills. A little, bit, a little bit of help from my friends and family. Loans and things. Anyways, yeah. Sounds like the Beatles. Goodbye, what a little. All right, is that it? Yep. Thanks. What are you going to pass the hat for? Oh. Thanks, Instagram, for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like The Sacred Collective. We are The Sacred Collective. All are respected. All are heard. All are welcomed. Join us. Do you think I should put more emphasis on the word all? Just try it. Yeah, try it. That second one was really good. Yeah. We are the sacred collective. All are respected. All are heard. And all are welcomed. Join us. Alrighty. Welcome to the sacred collective. Do you think that the 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 declaration of God's death mandates that the body or the community step up to certain roles that were once filled by this ideological omnipotent being is a part of the observation of the passing of this once arguably literally or uh, metaphorically present entity of God does doesn't that is that a call to the body to step up to to looking out for each other and, and being you know being loved to each other or filling a role that was that was once filled by something that may or may not have ever been been there Caleb that's that's absolutely fascinating thinking there and yes I wholeheartedly uh, affirm that I do think that is the case <laughs>